So um, I wanted to uh, kind of re, kind of just review where we've been in, in Mark 13 because there's just a lot there, and uh, <clears throat> you know we as I've studied this and the chapters prior to that as we were of course we're just working through this. And, you know, just the, how enthralled I was when, um, you know, we studied the temple and what that place was like and all. And then the ordinariness of the disciples and questioning our, our Lord, you know, of, uh, or not questioning, but, you know, well, they did question him. But first, you know, they bring to his attention the magnificence of this structure. And, and then they uh, ask the question. So I just thought we would review today. And... Um, Thursday, I about pulled the plug on it, and I thought, no, 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 I've, we're going to review today. So um, I would like for us just to get our minds in the right spot. We've been through verse 1 through 23 of chapter 13. I know that's a lot to read, but I'd like for us to to um, just visit that again, reading it together. Do, do I have a volunteer that would like to read 23 verses? Um if so, Bob, okay. As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew ask him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen but the end is still to come. Nations will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the, birth, are the beginnings of the birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand because about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother, brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be the days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now. 
and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short these days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. All right, thank you. So clear that the Jews were very proud of their temple, right? Really, kind of ironically, in spite of the fact that it was built by Herod, who they didn't like, but they were proud of their temple. And Jesus, as you remember in chapter 11, had already given them great disapproval of what was going on in the temples. He shut down the economy of the temple. He shut down the, the uh, I think, the uh, their worship as well, because once they didn't have anything to sacrifice and make worship with they they were out of out of business basically so on top of all that the just the as we said how magnificent this temple was last week we looked at how um once they were going leaving the temple for the last time with his public ministry he was going up on the mount of olives if you turned back around and looked josephus had the report in in one of his books of it was like looking at 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 the sun you know, you can't do that. I mean, this this was a brilliant building. Seen from a distance, if the sun wasn't shining off the gold, was the magnificent white marble that was involved there. Um, I think it was marble. Does anybody know? Remember? Anyway, you know, I, I, where did they get marble? I thought about that after the fact, if it was. And they were huge. These stones were huge. So it it just was a magnificent place. And you know what? All of us would have been astounded as well, right, at the size of this. And um, and then, and so in verse one, it, as he came out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, "Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings!" I wonder if there was a sense of, you know, an ah, oh, man, we just shut those guys down. We finally got them. We shut them down and. Man, we're proud of our temple. Jesus, just look at it. Oh, it's so good. You know, and one day, you know, soon, like maybe tomorrow, you're going to be able to come and, and you're going to be able to set up your kingdom here. You know, I, I don't know if that point of pride was there in them, but I just kind of think it, it certainly maybe they were thinking it if they didn't voice it. So, again, how absolutely shocked and flabbergasted they would have been when Jesus informed them that this magnificent building that they they admired was soon to be demolished, right? So once away from the crowds, his disciples ponder this, and they they ask him the question, you know, when is this going to happen? What is going to indicate that this is coming upon us? And their question revealed their understanding, of that their understanding of prophecy was still very confused, Right. They were they were still I think I used the phrase last week. They were still way too Jewish in their thinking and they thought the destruction of the temple coincided with the end of the age and the return of Jesus. As a matter of fact, the parallel passage in Mark, I mean, Matthew um, 24, 3 says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So they made the connection that the end of the age and, and him coming back were, were going to coincide with one another. 
But their question gave Jesus the opportunity to deliver a prophetic message, the longest response that he gave to any question that he was ever asked. Now, interestingly, looking at chapter 13, at least four times he gives a warning. In chapter 13, verse 5, And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. That's the same Greek phrase as verse 9, But be on your guard. Verse 23, but be on guard. Verse 33, be on guard. And he closed the whole address with, with saying, stay awake. So why does scripture have so many warnings for us to watch out, to be on guard? Not just Jesus here. I mean, it's all over the place. Why do you think that is? Why do you and I, why did he warn them, the writers of scripture, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, this seems to be a constant theme to me, right? Watch out. Be on guard. Why? Why do you think? What are some reasons for that? Because we never know when the end's coming. All right, certainly. What else? We get comfortable with the world. We're gullible. I think all those things, right? I, I thought of it like this, which I think is the same thing. We're so easily led astray, right? I read this morning, and I, this is going to be a paraphrase. I was reading a book um, uh, by Richard Mayhew, and he was saying that um, today, he said, if you look at the leaders of academia today, okay, these are, these are the leaders of the major institutions in the United States of America today is who he's referring to that what they're teaching is causing people to um, fall into uh, postmodernism. They aren't leaving. They, they had a membership interview. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, relativism and postmodernism is what's being taught in the universities of today. And, and you know what? <clears throat> What is the general thinking of postmodernism? There's no absolute truth. No absolute truth. Whatever you feel like, Phil, man, you're good, right? Whatever you feel like, you know, it's all good, right? No absolute truth. Now, think of Christianity with that. Bought it hook, line, and sinker, I think. Um, can you think of any churches in close proximity to us right now that Think that way? Sure. sure, absolutely. So, I mean, this is scary, right? That's why be on guard, be alert, be careful. So, uh, since we're so easily led astray by things like that, and after all, I mean, if you're a young person and you're in college and you're paying really good money to be in college, and this is what the professor that's teaching you is saying... Shouldn't you believe him? I mean, this is the guy with the credentials, is he not? Why would I listen to a guy in a Sunday school class that doesn't have this guy's credentials? You know, I, you know, you see how they can get so easily sidetracked? You have to imitate their thought patterns in order to succeed in their institution. Yeah, well, that, that's true. That's right. So... Imitate and not believe what they believe is there. That's hard to do, right? That's extremely hard to do as they press and press and press upon you. 
But thank goodness, you know, if somebody really is born again, they've got the spirit of the living God that can be that check and balance for them with the word of God, right? So what do you guys do? Just, you know, forget young people. Most of, I don't there's no students in here now. John Michael's the youngest. He's already graduated a few months ago. Yay, John Michael. With a great uh, honors, too, by the, by the way. So anyway, um, what do you guys do to stay on, on guard? What do you do to stay alert, to be careful, to not let be led astray? Pray? Sure, absolutely. True what else? wisdom comes from Scripture. True wisdom comes from Scripture. That's it. Yeah. And we'll see that as this lesson unfolds. So any particulars? When you hear something stupid, being a bass, it lined up against Scripture. If it doesn't line up, you throw it out. All right, that's right. And we call that principle of what? Being like the Bereans, right? I mean, they had Paul in their church for crying out loud, and they took the Bible home or their Old Testament scriptures, and what he's saying true. I mean, if Paul came here and preached, you know, would you check him out? You know, so practically speaking, though, for you as an individual, any secrets that you've got that you use that you'd like to share? I got a couple. Proverbs, yes, sir. You have to keep interacting with other. Sure. Sharing your thoughts and bouncing things off your Christian friends is important. Sure. Yeah. How about husbands bouncing off of wives? You know, should we do that, guys? That are married? Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know. Um, huh? Yeah. I, I. You know, I've got some really simplistic things that I do. Um, I'm going to put Alan on the spot. What are the two, three verses that I use more than any? You probably hear, he's with me every day of the week. You might, they're out of Proverbs. <laughs> First one is Proverbs fourteen twelve. There's a way that seems right to Tim Brown, but the end thereof is the way of death, right? The next one is Proverbs sixteen twenty five. There's a way that seems right to Tim Brown, but the end thereof is the way of death. You know, same thing. Why would Solomon write it twice? Proverbs 3, Five and six, right? Yeah. Yeah. Tim, don't listen to yourself. You know, that's, I put my name in there. I can't just quote it. I got to say it to me. And then another Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. So I have to put a guard around there, right? So what's another one, a New Testament one? Second Corinthians 10.5. You know, Paul says we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Well, how do you do that? You ever thought about that? Okay, I got it. Got that thought. I'm, it's captive. Jesus, how do I obey? I mean, what do you do with that? How, what does that mean, to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? What do you think? I'll tell you what I use to do it, but you tell me what you think first, what you use to take your thoughts captive. I Barney Fife it first. You know what that means? Nip it. Right? Nip it in the bud. You have to stop the moment the thought starts. Because our thoughts control our feelings, 
control our actions. It all starts right here. I start thinking this, then I start to feel a certain way, and then I'm doing. And around and around it goes. So one of the things I use is uh, Philippians 4.8, where Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So that's how I take the thoughts captive to Christ. I start to think about those type of things. So very simplistically, I never hardly ever get past the first one, whatever is true. Well, Tim, what's something that's true? Instead of this bad negative thought, what is something that's true? Well, Jesus loves me, right? That is about as simple as you, truth as you can get, and it's one of the most profound truths that you can get, right? And how do we know that Jesus loves us? He died for us, right? You know, who would die for somebody they didn't love? So I think it's important to always remember, you know, and here in this, in five verses, uh, Jesus warns us to be on guard, to pay attention, to be careful. So while studying this address, this Olivet Discourse can help us better understand future events, we really have to be careful that we don't start setting dates, a date setter is a false prophet, right? Because it's never going to come true. I think even if somebody did figure it out, God would change it to spite them. And uh, I, I heard a guy one time, I kid you not, years ago, uh, years and years ago, I heard a guy say, yeah, he's coming. He, he didn't give a date. He gave this fall, not, not 2016, but, you know, the year that he was talking about. He's coming back this fall. You know, and I'm sorry, no, right? Jesus says in verse 32 there that concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. You know, you as we continue in Mark 13, we got to, as I said a moment ago, keep in mind the Jewish atmosphere of this discourse. This This discourse grew out of some questions asked, to a Jewish rabbi by four Jewish men about the future of the Jewish temple. So we got to keep that in mind as we look at it. And of course, as we've talked about for two weeks now, the, the warnings about these false Christs that would come. And, and this would be a real concern for the Jews because it, it was a warning about, um, you know, that you're going to be drugged before these courts and these trials because of these false Christs. And, um, We've looked at some of those, even gave names of some of those people alive in the world today that claim to be the, uh, the Messiah, and we know that those are false Christs. But we must remember that this chapter also describes a period of time known as the Tribulation, although it doesn't um, teach about the, the doctrine of, of the rapture of the church, uh, this is just the tribute. Jesus is just laying out the period of time called the tribulation, and later he calls it the great tribulation. So the Old Testament prophets wrote about this time, and they called it different things. In Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, they called it the time of Jacob's trouble. They called it a time of wrath in Zephaniah 1, and a time of indignation and punishment in Isaiah 26. So Mark actually gives us three stages of this tribulation period. The beginning, we see that in verses 5 through 13. The middle of the tribulation in verses 14 through 18. And then the events that lead to the end 
of that period in verses 19 through 27. And then Jesus closes with two parables. One was to urge the believers to watch, and we'll get into that next week. That was the parable of the fig tree. And the other one to take heed because he's coming back. And that was the parable at the end about the not knowing the day or the hour of like the housekeeper that's going to be coming back. Um, At the close of the tribulation, uh, those who are had been raptured with Christ will return with him and reign with him. This is the belief, as we've said, that the elders of the church hold to. But, you know, there are other beliefs. And, you know, I've talked to John David one time about how, you know, believers in the same body can have different understandings, different beliefs on some of the prophetic things of Scripture. And he said, I love this statement he makes. He said, you know, I don't care who you are at the end. When we're in heaven, there's going to be aha moments, you know, ah, that was it. <laughs> and now I understand, right? So don't get all caught up in thinking that, you know, you got it figured out and nobody else does. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. You know, that there are a lot of things that, that we have to just study it on our own, work through it, and come to our beliefs on these things. So with that in mind, let's look back a bit uh, from where we started two weeks ago. Then the first half of the tribulation, the beginning um, in verses 5 through 13. The key statement is actually in verse 8, where Jesus says, these are the beginning of birth pains. You know, birth pains, as we've said over and over, come suddenly. They build up gradually. They lead to a time of uh, tribulation for the world as this goes on. In verse 5, he says, see that no one leads you astray. Don't be deceived. And Jesus listed the, the, the things that must not be taken as the signs of his comings. These are just the, the beginning of the birth pains. You know, they're, they're the, um, well, the, some of the things he listed in verses 5 and 6 were the false Christ, the nations in conflict, natural disturbances, religious persecutions. And we looked at all those in great detail. Again, this is just a review today. And these things, as, as we've said, they've always been with us. I, I, I gave you a report two weeks ago of the, the minute number of years in history that war has not been on this planet somewhere. But, you know, the history books are full of false messiahs. They're full of wars and rumors of wars this, this, and, that, and earthquakes and tsunamis and natural disturbances that take place, right? But these are just the beginning. Now, I think every generation throughout history would say, well, it's got to be soon because boy, it's sure getting more and more, right? Was it yesterday, uh, ISIS attack in Bangladesh? Last night, ISIS attack in uh, Baghdad, 80 people killed. I don't remember how many it was in Bangladesh. I mean, you know, it's more and more and more, but Every generation can pretty much say that, can't they, as things progress? Um, I'm reading a book uh, on uh, the Matthews men. I won't give you all the details. It's about this Matthews County, Virginia, where these uh, guys, everybody that grew up there was a mariner, and they were all merchant mariners at the beginning of the Second World War. And the United States government really used the mariners, the merchant marines, to ship goods back and forth to Britain. And then once we got engaged to bring 
goods up from South America and Cuba (laughs) to build all our boats and everything. And I got to thinking that the people that were alive at that time, not only did you have, I didn't realize this, some of you history guys I'm sure knew this, but I was astounded. The German U-boats were here. They, they, this book gave a report of one guy last night that was floating in the New York harbor there with the tourist boats seeing the Ferris wheel on Long Island. A U-boat above water. I'm thinking, whoa, were we ignorant or what? Well, all the whole time all this is going on up and down the East Coast, you got the Japanese bombing out in the Pacific at Pearl Harbor. And I had the thought, good grief, the Christians alive then surely had to have thought, well, this has got to be the end. We're getting pounded from both sides of our country. And well, with that, Tim, every time you've read this, uh, and I, they talk about children uh, turning in their, their families, and, and uh, I, I think of the what was going on in Germany with the Nazis sure. as far as children turning yeah. into their parents. I, every time it's read, I think of that. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's just a lot. Go- there was a lot going on. I, the fact that we survived that one, if you think about it, was quite astounding. Um, so anyway, um, you know, there's with all these with all that going on, then you got the false messiahs as well. That's kind of the setup, I think, to trick you. Well, look at all this. This guy's got to be the true messiah. You know, there's there's something in human nature, uh, depravity, I, I would call it, you know, that that loves a lie, right? Just loves a lie, refuses to believe the costly lesson of the past and just loves a lie. Mark Twain said, listen to this quote, a lie runs around the world while truth is still putting on her shoes. Isn't that something? Boom, I mean, you can have a lie that quick. You know, how easy it is for spiritually blind people to follow popular leaders and the gullibility to accept their simple but erroneous solutions for life's problems, right? You see that? I think that's how all these... Bizarre religions grow, that people are just gullible. They, they're looking, not that they're searching for God, but um, because Scripture tells us that no man does that, but, you know, people are, are just gullible, and the first thing that comes along, you know, they latch into it. I was sharing with Alan, I think, the other day, that I remember one time when I was in the Army in Europe, and uh, somebody gave me some Hare Krishna thing, you know, and I got into that for a week, you know, and... That's how I know Christianity is real, right, by the way? Because here I am all these years later, and it's not me that's making it keep going in my life. You know, that lasted about as long as everything else in my life did, about a week, you know, and then I was done with that. didn't work. But, uh, you know, the Christian, that's the difference, I think, is that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. Um, That's where the perseverance of the saints comes in. But Jesus also uh, warned them not to be disturbed by political conflicts among the nations, as we've said. You know, then there's all the natural disasters. You know, war causes famine. Famine is also caused by man's uh, abuse of the environment. But it can also be directed by the Lord as well. Um, And, you know, a lot of the earthquakes in Scripture, too, were because of God's wrath. How does that fly if you talk to somebody about that today? Oh, yeah, it's the wrath of God, you know. Um, They don't like that, right? Not only were the believers to take heed and avoid the deceivers, but they were also to take heed to themselves because they were going to be persecuted by the officials and personal persecution, as we've talked about being 
handed over to, to families. But great quote by the early church father, Tertullian. He said this to his persecutors. We multiply whenever we are mown down by you. The blood of Christians is seed. Isn't that good? Think about that if you ever became under, under persecution for your faith. You know what? My blood is going to be a seed to other people to come to know the Lord. You know, that he gave us in verse 11 the, the, the blessing, the promise that the Holy Spirit would minister through the disciples whenever they had the opportunity to witness. That's an encouragement for us as well today that we will never be without the right words. You know, if we're walking in the Spirit, we'll have no trouble bearing witness for Christ when the opportunity arrives. And, uh, you know, then last week, I think we ended somewhere around this uh, thought of that we, un- we understood the official persecution, but, you know, as Bob was talking about a minute ago, the why would friends and family members create problems for believers? And I, I think it's it was because... The Christian faith then, this time period, was heresy and blasphemy to the Jews because the Jews twice a day, an Orthodox Jew, even today, quotes Deuteronomy 6, right? Twice a day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And so the Jews who said Jesus is Lord, well, that's two gods to them. You know, now you're blaspheming. So the persecution would come on them. So family and friends, think about it. You know, you're torn between your loyalty to your Jewish faith. You're torn between the loyalty of your government, Caesar, and you're torn between the devotion to your loved ones. But the real cause for the persecution really is given in verse 13, where Jesus says it's really um, for my name's sake. But, you know, you can belong to all sorts of weird religious groups today and not suffer opposition from other people, right? Matter of fact, I mean, in our country, it seems like today you get defended if you're not offended. You get defended if you're of another faith. You know, you've got the right, brother, you know, but then bring in our faith and see what happens, right? But not um, you can keep from suffering opposition from family and friends by talking about religion, you can even talk about God. But say the word Jesus and see what happens, right? Bring his name into the picture and somebody will start to oppose you. His name in 2016 is still hated, right? And do y'all ever, um, there's a, Bryant Wright is the pastor of uh, Johnson's Ferry Baptist Church and he has a ministry called Right from the Heart, and he pays for himself out of his ministry a prime time, morning and evening, 30-second uh, radio clip on WSB Radio. Have y'all ever heard him? Yeah. Called Right from the Heart. I mean, I, I applaud him for that, because he, he tells it like it is, right? And he was talking about this the other day. You know, he said, you know, talk about... God, you're fine. Talk about other religion, you're fine. Talk about your religion, you're fine. But bring the name Jesus in and see what happens. Why are people so opposed to that? What do you think? You know, Acts 4.12, you can defend it with that. John 14.6, you can defend it with that. But why are people so opposed to the name Jesus? 
What do you think? Because there's no other name given to me. That's right. Yeah, that's the Acts 4.12. And it's also the doctrine that what Jesus suffered on the cross, we're all worthy of. Yeah. <laughs> we're all deserving exactly that and worse unless we submit to him. Yeah. And they hate that. Yeah. So, you know what? Christianity gets very exclusive, does it not? I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But but now this guy, he's a devout Muslim. He he worships Allah. I've seen him. I mean, look at the burn on his head. Y'all are in Cairo. I asked the guy in the hotel, my friend, I said, what is that mark on all the men's heads? Is that? A, I thought it was some kind of an Egyptian birthmark. I really did. I had no idea. He said they're burn marks from getting down on the floor and bowing to Allah. However many times a day they do that. Now, he said, now that's what they are, but he said, I can promise you those are self-induced standing in front of a mirror to get it really good so that when you go to work, everybody thinks you're more devout than the next guy. Isn't that true? And But I mean, I thought, wow, you know, certainly, certainly that has to, how can I, the audacity of me to say that Jesus Christ is the only way, you know, but take that to this time period with them. You know, when they said that, that Jesus, that's what you're claiming, then you're going to be hated by your family, you're going to be hated by the government, and you're going to be hated by the Jewish institution, the faith. So it's just too narrow, right? And I remember, I'll never forget this. I, I had a guy, a friend of mine, uh, I was taking him to get a haircut. He was a, a black guy, and he wanted to go to the black barber. And have y'all ever been in a black barber shop? We, we're Caucasians, we... We don't know anything about it. They get pampered. I mean, it takes forever. You know, they talk, they socialize. It's an event. I mean, it's really pretty neat. So here we are, and it's finally his turn, and he's in the chair, and the guy's clipping his hair, and and the conversation, the room full of people, and they just talk. I mean, it's really a, a social event. And some, they were talking about, truth and things but one guy said well you know you just can't trust anybody today everything is always changing and my friend in the chair said well i know something that never changes and i mean the clippers went boop off and every head in the shop what and he said the word of god and that oh man that started and i kid you not about that time this guy walked in the door and they said well he's a muslim he doesn't believe in the Word of God. What do you say about that? And they all look at me, you know. And, and I said, guys, I, all I can tell you is what Jesus Christ said. I, I, I have nothing of my own to stand on except his word. And he said, and I quoted John fourteen six. I said, now you can take that statement and you can make one. This is a Josh McDowell thing. I said, you can make one of three conclusions from that. He was either a liar and he's not the only way. Or he's a stark raving lunatic, and he's not the only way, or he's Lord. You pick. Not me, you. And that, they, you know, cut the clippers back on, and they all talked about that for a good while. But you see what I mean, though? It's, it's, it's just a weird mindset. As soon as you say Jesus, everybody else, well, that's too narrow, right? And boy, then you want to take it even further, then start talking about the doctrines of grace and see where that gets you. But... Anyway, so um, 
that's all kind of the, the beginning of the tribulation. Then we have the middle of the tribulation, and this is in verses 14 through 18. And that's, we talked about last week, this phrase, the abomination of desolation, comes from the book of Daniel and refers to the idolatrous pollution of the Jewish temple by the Gentiles. And, you know, the Jews hated all idolatry. You know, it was an abomination to them. Even though they got into it on their own, you can read in Deuteronomy 29, where it's detestable, 2 Kings 16. And last week, we... Uh, looked at the point in history where the temple was defiled in 150 by Antiochus Epiphanes, and that was the event that is described in Daniel 11.31. Daniel talks about three, uh, three times the abomination of desolation, 9.27, 11.31, and 12.11. And the 11.31 is the one that's uh, in, throughout history been seen as the temple being defiled by the Syrian king, Antiochus Epiphanes. But these uh, events were, were given as an anticipation of the final abomination of desolation that Daniel prophesied of in 927. Um, so a great question then is, what signals the beginning of this awful period, the middle of the tribulation? And Daniel 9.27, I think, answers that. He says, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate, and the decree decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So the signing of the covenant between the nation of Israel and the prince that shall come is what ushered that in. The prince, of course, is the coming world dictator that, that we often call the Antichrist. Book of Revelation calls him the beast in Revelation 13 and 14. And it's interesting that how they get sucked into this is, is that they agree, they, the, they agree, they agree with him that he's going to protect Israel from her enemies for seven years and, and even allows them to rebuild the temple and restore their sacrifices that Jesus blew up. And, and the Jews rejected, think about this, they rejected Jesus Christ, the true Messiah, and they accept the false Messiah. Isn't that something? And then after three and a half years, the Antichrist will break the covenant. Now, does God break any of his covenants? Has he historically broken any of his covenants? You know, and this guy breaks his, right? Um... No, I won't say that. Well, let me say it. This is my belief, too. And something that everybody in here is that's married has entered into a marriage covenant, right? I could be wrong about this. Um, we'll discuss it another time if you think I am. But I think the reason that that divorce is that God hates divorce so much is because the covenant that you make in marriage isn't between you and the spouse. It's between you and God. So that you, you're you breaking a covenant with God. You are. Think about that. Breaking a covenant with God. Is that something you want to mess with? When God has entered into a covenant with us, that thank goodness he doesn't treat us like, like that, right? But so um, the Antichrist will break the covenant and he'll invade the temple, set up his own image. That's the abomination of desolation and force the world to worship Satan from that point. 
So that ushers in the last half of the tribulation period, which uh, in Matthew, he calls it the great tribulation. Matthew 24, 21. <clears throat> For then there will be a be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And as we said last week, Mark in verse 14 has a parenthesis there that tells us that this is for readers of a future time, not hearers of when Jesus was giving that message. They would have special meaning to them as they, the hearers of future time as they see these events starting to unfold. So he gives special warnings there to the Jewish believers uh, to get out as fast as you can. And um, yeah, I think that's about where we ended last week with verse 19 of in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. So, you know, the flood, of course, kind of something very similar was said then, right? But he's not destroying it by flood at this point. You know, there, this is going to be even more catastrophic than that if you can think about the devastation that's going to come. And he says it never will be. I think he emphatically assures that there's never going to be anything else like it. And uh, for the sake of time, we're not going to look at all these scriptures, but if you can write them down if you want. That Revelation gives us a lot of the judgments that are going to mark this time. Uh, the first one I've got is a great earthquake that will devastate the earth. That's in Revelation 6, 12 through 17. Another one is hail and fire will consume a third of the earth's vegetation. That's in Revelation 8, 6, and 7. A third of the ocean will be turned to blood. Revelation 8, 8, and 9. A third of the fresh water will be poisoned. Revelation 8, 10, and 11. A third of the sun, moon, and stars will be darkened. That's Revelation 8, 12. Countless demons will be released from bondage to terrorize mankind. Think about that. That's Revelation 9, 1 through 12. A third of the earth's population will be killed. A third of the earth. If that happened today, how many would that be? Um, Two point something billion, right? Is that right? Something like that. That's a lot of folks. How many people are in China? A billion? One One and a half billion? In China, so you know more than that. That's a lot of people, and uh, there, uh, the the Earth will experience extreme heat. Uh, if you're a Southerner like me, you know it's going to be hotter than that. That's Revelation 16. This is the one I don't like. The darkness will engulf the world. Revelation 16, 10, and 11. The Euphrates River will dry up, Revelation 16, 12. A global, a global earthquake will cause massive changes to the earth's appearance, Revelation 16. So all of these events, this is all going to happen during that time period. Has anybody experienced an earthquake? Did I ask that a couple of weeks ago? Um, You have? Yeah, in D.C. it was minor. Okay. Has anybody had a good one? Daniel's been where I'm talking about. Brad and Gina's in Peru. They get little rockers there from time to time, but a few years, but the plaster's all off the buildings that they're 
uh, ministry center because of earthquakes that happened quite frequently. But a few years back, they had a good one, as they would call it. And, I mean, they had enough time for everybody in the community, in the ministry center to get out, get away from the buildings, get out in the street, which is, what, 60 yards from the home. So, you know, walking and get in a circle while you're like this and hold hands and pray, you know, and and uh, they've, you know, those are, when you see a place like this, and, and it's it's quite obvious that the flood did all the stuff that's that's there, and, and you can, it, you know, I don't want to ever be there when it's shaking like that, but, you know, it, it's interesting how you can um, see you and I with a, a biblical mindset can drive through that area and see the work of God through these kinds of environmental shakeups, and um, that one had a that one went all the way up into Lima. I mean, it killed a lot of people. But um, so all of these things, you know, there's not going to be any question what's going on there because. I don't know if it all happens at the same time or if, you know, this happens and that happens, but anybody have any thoughts on that? Is all this going to be, you know, real quick, you know, like everything happening at once or, you know, as it, as it unfolds for the three and a half years, gets worse and worse till the final end, perhaps. But That's the difference that I see in this and comparing it to the flood. The great flood happened, and to me that was a quick thing. Mm-hmm. That happened and killed everybody at one time. Mm-hmm. Where here, the, the part of the the suffering and the anguish and all is that people are experiencing, and you're seeing this. You're going to be hearing about this, and it's getting worse, and it's getting worse, and it's getting worse, and finally, it's you. Yeah. But it's to the point where everybody is is just a big. And how long a period and it took? Where the flood, it was, it was over, and everybody died yeah, at one yeah. time. Yeah. So in verse 20, he, Jesus goes on to, to explain, he says, And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. So God has predetermined to stop the devastation before the entire race is wiped out. Now, it's interesting that, that Mark uses the aorist tense with the verbs here of had not cut short, which means that's a past action. He, this puts the action at some point in the past that I think we can gain from that, that God has sovereignly decreed that those days of tribulation will be in a specified period of time. It comes from a Greek word that literally means amputated or mutilated. You know, cut short, cut off. Um, you know, as a blessing, that's another sign of our Lord's grace, isn't it? that he cut short those days to prevent the destruction of every human being. And we know that because that verse ends with, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose. That's why he cut it short. So those are the believers that are going to be alive at the time of tribute when this happens. For the sake of them, I'm going to cut it short. So, you know, God, he continues to warn the future generation that during those shortened days, Verse 21 says, and then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I've told you all things beforehand. Well, with all this worldwide chaos, the religious liars and deceivers, 
you know, they're going to take advantage of people's fears. But we know that, as we studied two weeks ago, that the elect cannot be led astray because they're firm in the grip of the Savior, right? Um, People are going to be looking for the Messiah, perhaps, at that time. These false prophets have an audience, and it tells us they're going to be using signs and wonders. I think the translation Bob read said miracles, which that same thing of what they mean. And, you know, to some degree, these, as we know, these the beginning of birth pains are happening. We see that with the wars and the rumors of wars and the natural disasters, as we've said over and over. But it, the signs and the wonders, I thought about that a little bit and Again, I've shared this with Alan this week. He gets all my side notes here. Um, uh, my mom is a devout Roman Catholic, as I've told you all many times before. And, and, and years back, she got caught up in this Mary movement thing. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but right here in Conyers, Georgia... 10 or 15 years ago. I don't think it's happening anymore. I think the lady's name, last name was Connor. My dad died real young, so my mom gravitated really fully engulfed in her church. And she got to know this lady over in Conyers. And Mary, at, during this period of time, appeared there at this lady's farm. And, um, I mean, people flocked from all over the world to come to Conyers, Georgia, and see Mary. Now, they actually never saw her, but when she's present, they smell roses. And um, the sun spins around in the sky. And all this stuff. So, you know, I started thinking, my mom's an intelligent woman, Um a lot of her friends are very intelligent people. What is going on? And I came across a book called The Graven Image by an ex-Catholic priest that explains all of that. You know, I just, I kind of wrote it up. They're all nuts. They're all wacko. But I got to think, they're intelligent people. They're not nut wacko. What is going on? And this guy says in this book that it's really happening. But it's not Mary. It's signs and wonders of demons. That's what's happening. And some of those cathedrals, I mean, I'm telling you, the Catholic churches around here don't hold a candle. This is Catholicism light. You know, these foreign countries that are indoctrinated with Catholicism, that one in in Arequipa, that cathedral there, that, uh, I mean, I, I promise you, the hair on the back of your neck will stand up when you walk in there with these shrines to Mary, even rose petals on the floor, right? The smell of roses. You know, I'm, I'm talking about full body size, ornate gold. They, matter of fact, they're so ornate that they have to have these gates in front of it because, of course, people would steal the stuff, right? But what is that? You know, those are the beginning of the signs and the wonders, I think, that this that's going to be taking place. And Jesus gives a command, do not believe it, right? So they can know that these aren't the true Messiah because, listen to this, Matthew's account tells us that when he comes, it will be his lightning and it won't be concealed. It's not going to be the sun spinning around. It's going to be lightning bolts, right? Now, the question that came into my mind at that time, though, is if people don't have a Bible 
as, as you said earlier, you know, then how, how do you know that this is the wrong thing, right? So what should that do to us? Uh, Mark Nindeno shared at my small group Friday night about he and Shane's recent trip to Kenya. And uh, it was so good. I mean, it was phenomenal. But he said, my heart ached because he said, somebody asked a question about, you know, well, can't they study that in the Bible? And he said, well, you don't understand. You know, Alan might have a Bible, but nobody else in the room does. That's the reality of it. So I come, man, can I, can I borrow that? For two hours, I promise just two hours. Yeah, but you're going to need to come back, you know. And so, okay, what time should I come back? We'll come back at 3 o'clock. Okay, I come back at 3. He gives me the Bible for two hours, and then i got to take it back. And somebody in our group said, yeah, i got six Bibles here in my house, you know. And these people are sharing. So how do they know? So how in the world do you think the prosperity gospel and the charismatics are, are just flooding these parts of the world because they don't have Bibles to show them otherwise? So great challenge for us to uh, find a way to provide Bibles to uh, places like that, Wycliffe Bible translators and groups like that that are doing a good job. But, um, you know, we can be encouraged because we know that God's elect are always personally secured by him. And uh, Jesus ends this section with saying, be on guard, I've told you all these things. So the terror of these final days is horrific, but it won't last indefinitely. And uh, as the remainder of this passage, which we'll look at next week, Jesus shows us that uh, he will return to earth and defeat the Antichrist and rescue the elect. So that'll be encouraging for us to get to that. So any questions? Comments? Well, then you're dismissed. <laughs>